everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Content Lab. I am your intrepid host, Liz Moorhead, Editor-in-Chief here at Impact. I'm joined by John Becker, our Revenue and Features Editor, and we are not alone, John. We are not alone. We've been invaded. Hello, Stranger Danger. Introduce yourself. What's up? I'm Kevin Phillips, the uh, Principal Trainer here at Impact and one of the Impact Plus professors. So wait, when you say principal trainer, do you train like a fleet of principals for schools? Or is that like more like a leading? <laughs> it's leading? a fancy, it's a fancy term that Impact gave me uh, to mean that like we have a bunch of different trainers, different levels. I'm at the top, top level to where I've even trained the trainers. You're the cherry on top of the trainer Sunday. Yeah. And I got to, I now share that uh, honor with Brian, who is also my arch nemesis within the company but we can get into that later. <laughs> uh, dude, why don't we just officially, are we just officially putting Brian Casey on blast right now? Oh, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. Brian up, Casey, like, you're on blast. It's official. John, do you have any notifications you'd like to give to Brian Casey? This this whole, this tension is, is news to me. I, I hope we dig into it a little bit over the course of, well, not totally news to me, but Arch Nemesis was more than I was expecting. I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. Fight, fight, fight. But other than fighting, how are you two doing today before we dive into today's topic? I'm doing great. I'm just hoping that none of my three kids decide that this is a great time to come bang on my door and air their own grievances right outside of it. Oh my God. I love when that happens. Like I was on a call earlier today. And so I made the mistake, dumb me, eating popcorn. <laughs> Stupid list. Because that means my cat pumpkin, she literally... She jumped from the coffee table behind me and like clung onto the chair like a spider monkey, hopped onto my desk and started ramming her face <laughs> into the bag while I was on with someone. I've never had it that bad, but that sounds awful. <laughs> she is really committed to the popcorn. I don't know. And then when John and I have one-on-ones, my favorite is I'll be kind of like chit-chatting away and all of a sudden I'll notice he goes mute and he like turns his head off to the side, still nodding toward me, but I still see him being like, children, no, be quiet. <laughs> the world we live in these days. Locks <sighs> on doors, like the best invention. The only <laughs> other question I have before we begin today, Kevin, is because you have a snowboard in the back and I've behind you and I've known for a long time that you snowboard. What is it like to give yourself over so willingly and so foolishly to gravity? Stapling yourself uh, to a plank of wood. can be pretty painful. Like I've broken a lot of different bones, ankle, wrist, both wrists. Oh my God. Uh, and a lot of sprains and strains and concussions. And, um, but when you actually, that one moment where you do something cool and you ride away from it is worth all those other terrible things that can go wrong. I haven't shared any of my videos with you, huh? Like I got to where I'm at now because of snowboarding in the weirdest way. When I got hired at the Alaska Sleep Clinic as a content manager, the prompt was um, looking for a writer with video editing experience. I sent in a writing sample of an article I wrote for the school paper about what it's like to be a dad at a Lamaze class. <laughs> and then I sent in this uh, snowboarding documentary that uh, I was in a documentary filmmaking class and uh, vanity project. I took 15 years worth of like my snowboard footage and like put it all together with the end uh, being my goal was to go jump in a helicopter and go heliboarding in Alaska. 
And I did that. And then I, I made a documentary of myself of all things. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I sent that in and the guy didn't even care about the writing sample. He's like, yeah, yeah, but you, you made that video. I'm like, yeah, I made that video. <laughs> like you edited the whole thing and shot it. I'm like, well, I was, I was in front of the camera mostly, but I do know how to shoot with the camera. I filmed other people snowboarding and stuff. Uh, and that's pretty much what got me hired was the snowboarding video and not the Lamaze class article, which I thought was pretty funny. Because when I went into that Lamaze class, the lady had a doll before anything started. And she's like patting it on the back and like holding it like a real child. And uh, I was like, this is going to be weird. And the whole time it was like, here's everything you're supposed to do, dude. She's a princess. You're going to take care of her. Here's all your responsibilities. And it was very in my face. <laughs> uh, what were some of your responsibilities, Kevin, for your princess? Basically let her just beat me up, call me the worst names in the world, break my fingers. And I just got to sit there and pat her hand and be like, you're doing a good job and do that type of breathing. Right? Which none of that actually happens in the delivery room. Like I'm pretty sure all that advice went out the window. And the, the, I think the hardest thing, I went through a similar experience, Kevin, and the hardest thing to, to sort of wrap your head around before you help someone through delivery or coach someone through labor and delivery is it's so long you know it, like this isn't something that's going to come happen in an hour and a half or something you know at least for for our daughter my wife was in labor for like i don't know 13 or 14 hours it, it just rookie man 36 on my first kid i got oh. in trouble for falling asleep because i'm like dude i'm tired <laughs> i took a nap on the on the chair i can relate oh, i own man. a house plant <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're great. And cats too, right? You just got to be like, there's some food over there and I'll, and I'll change your stuff out and uh, I'll let you destroy some of my furniture with your claws. And we're good. I about that, but I did see something once. So I've always been a dog person up until I had my cat. And I saw this thing on the internet once where it was like dog owners be like, I just spent $3,000 on my beautiful little baby and look how cute he is and check out the sweater and blah, blah, blah. And cat owners be like, my cat got out yesterday. I had to lure her out from the gutters with a shrimp on a on a string. She is my trash gremlin. I'm like, that's that's accurate. I've had many times where I've had to interrupt or be late to meetings because Pumpkin will get caught in the trash. Will try to hurl herself off the top of a bookcase that's nine feet tall. Like they're just constantly trying to kill themselves or just make my life miserable. And you know, speaking of cats making lives miserable, this is a perfect segue into today's discussion. We're talking today about content and dumbing it down. Those two have nothing to do with each other. I just literally yeah. realized I would sit here for an hour and talk about the cat and we shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, no. So let's just table set for a little bit. This started, what was it? Two days ago, I was spelunking around um, the Impact Plus forums. Impact Plus is our all-in-one digital sales and marketing success platform. And we have a bunch of different forums in there. We have like a general forum, stuff for content managers, things like that. Um, so people are just in there asking questions. Kevin, John, and I chit-chat. We have a good time. And I made a, um, I made a post asking people like what was the most annoying thing about the content creation process? 
And one of the members uh, actually said that it is a struggle for me to write at a ninth grade level or below. I average at the college graduate and 12th grade level during my first drafts. And it just feels like I have to dumb things down to make things to make it acceptable. I find that the final drafts I get approved um, read as if they were meant for children. It is just a personal pet peeve, but it makes me cringe when I compare the final post to what I had originally written. I think this is a reflection of the American public school system more than anything else. It is what it is, just being honest per the prompt above. And then Kevin, you came galloping in on your mighty steed of content justice and said, while it may be a reflection of the American public education system, it's important that as many people in your audience as possible understand your content. And you actually had a great quote in there from Jay-Z that I know you were disappointed you didn't get to share, but I don't want to read it for you. So why don't you expand a little bit more on your answer and, and drop that sweet Jay-Z wisdom on us? So yeah, in um, what album did it come from? It was the song Moment of Clarity from the Black album. For some reason, this lyric always stuck out to me where Jay-Z was talking about his experiences of trying to be a rapper in the early days. And he was like kind of a really fast technical rapper and no one was buying his stuff. So then as he says in his own words, I dumb down for my audience and double my dollars. They criticize me for it, yet they all yell holla. And that lyric always just stuck with me of like why it's important, especially if you want to make money, to maybe meet your audience where they're at and the, their demands of what they're looking for. So it's not about you, your preferences. In the case of what this uh, the person that responded to your post was, is like, well, I write at a 12th grade level, right? So... That's great. That's that's where your your reading comprehension level is at. But not everyone in your audience is going to be there. And writing at a seventh through a ninth grade level isn't writing for children. It's just making your content more acceptable or accessible so that fewer people don't end up leaving it going, huh? I'm gonna go see if someone else out there simplifies it a little bit better. They go to your competitors, they teach them in an easier way. And then they buy from them instead of you. So your stuff might have sounded really smart and high level, but you are kind of gating it off from a large chunk of your audience when you do that. And that's really what I want to talk about today, because I, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I started having lots of feelings about this, the this concept of dumbing it down. And I've run into that with a lot of people, especially, you know, for example, if you're creating content for like... Um, if you're creating content for technical industries or something that requires a high degree of expertise, I find I run into that a lot where it's like, oh, I'm just dumbing it down. I'm just dumbing it down. And what I really like for us to dive in today is that, yes, okay, maybe dumbing it down, but is actually that what you're doing? And is it a negative? Because just to go off on my little, stand up on my little soapbox for a moment, I found that what people don't realize is that it depends on the posture you're taking with your content, right? You can go into this with the heart of a teacher, which is what we what we teach people to do, where you're using your expertise to bridge a gap, to bring you closer to somebody. But when you talk at someone with zero regard for who they are or where they're coming from, you're just talking at people. You're, you, that's where your expertise does has the inverse effect, right? It creates distance. And I don't think people real, I don't think a lot of people realize how quickly you can accidentally trip that wire from bringing people close to you or pushing them away. So why don't we start with that? Is this something that you discovered over time or were you always just more of an accessible content creator? Well, I think it started off 
first learning about that kind of idea is uh, Stephen King's on writing. There's a passage in there where he he talks about um, basically dumbing things down in his own words. He compares uh, Ernest Hemingway to Edgar Allan Poe, I believe. And then he shows a passage for, and it both kind of has to do with the same thing. And I forget Edgar Allan Poe's again, it's because it's so technical. It's almost forgettable. Just brilliantly describing like going to a river or something. And then, then Ernest Hemingway's quote was he went to the river. The river was there. It's just like so simple looking at two different styles of writing, arriving at the same conclusion. One, I can remember word for word, probably almost a decade after reading that book. The other one, I can't remember it at all. I am a huge fan of Hemingway in a very, very big way for that reason alone, because what I find fascinating about him is he's very precise with this word choice and, and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's very trim. He's lean in terms of, of how many words he crams into a sentence or how he describes something. But somehow it makes his ideas land with more power. You know, one of the things I always talk about with people is that a quick way to diminish the strength of your words is to add in a lot of adjectives and adverbs. So the first thing you want to do is just like go in there with your little editorial machete and start cutting that stuff out. Like there's this tendency not just to pad with expertise, but just like words and fluff and absolute garbage that means nothing. You know, and that's the stuff that turns our brains off. So Kevin, as you, as you write, like, are there, are there processes that you put in place? Like, it seems like something that you've, you've kind of internalized, you, you're, it, it's part of how you communicate, but are there processes that you put in place to look back at your own work to, like Liz is saying, trim some of those adjectives or those adverbs or to, and again, I think I think it's good that we're getting away from the phrase like dumbing down. I think that's that's way more pejorative than it should be. Like this is about aiming and, and targeting, not about um, it's about communicating clearly, not about, you know, yeah. underestimating the person who's reading it. So are there processes that you put in place for your own work that um, make sure that you're landing on the right side of this? Yeah. So uh, especially for myself and clients, like I, when I have clients send me content, I have them include two extra things with what they send me. And one of them is what was your score in Grammarly? And then what was the readability in the Hemingway app? And the Hemingway app is based on the Flesh Kincaid reading score level. It's an algorithm that looks at things like uh, your total sentences and the, and the lengths of the words in your sentences, how long the words you're using are, how many syllables are these words, and it comes out and spits it out and says, what is the reading comprehension level of this piece of content? Can it be read by a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader? Do you need college level education to understand it? One of the examples I always love to use, and I think I used it uh, responding in that thread, was that if you take Comcast or Apple's service terms of agreements and throw them into the Hemingway app to see what the flesh Kincaid is, it's grade level 14. You need to go to college to be able to learn what you are giving up when you sign those agreements that nobody reads because nobody reads them because nobody can read them. It's legally jargon for the most part. You have no idea that you're signing your firstborn child away if you fail to pay your, your due on the beginning of the month, right? No one's going to read it because it's, it's too dense, hard to unpack, and it's not accessible. But if you do want to teach your audience, then you got to write at a, at a, easier to read level. So 
I'll take their content and I'll plug it into the Hemingway app. And if it's above grade level nine, the cool thing about this app is it'll highlight hard to read sentences in yellow and very hard to read sentences in red. I don't try and eliminate all red highlights because I do believe in varied sentence length. You don't want everything to be just a simple sentence, you know, some compound or, or complex sentences are fine, but you don't want too much of that in a row because then you just got this giant text that's really hard to unpack in a row. So I'll go in there and help them clean up areas to make it more accessible and get that overall grade level down to seven, eight or nine. I really like what you said there when you were talking about like the, the varied, you want the varied approach to it. You want to have some of those compound and complex sentences there. But I think what it comes back to is really just this understanding of who is your audience? Because like when I think about the stuff that I write about, and I've actually found this too, and I don't know if you've ever had this where it's like, sometimes I struggle with experts to focus on one-on-one content. They also want to talk about more complex things. And I found that a lot of subject matter experts, and I find myself falling into this face first, like also, so I'm not wagging the finger only externally, but where you find yourself in this situation where like, you want to talk to people just like you. Like, okay, so if your ideal buyer is also you, you're just, you're marketing to other use. Great. You can speak that language. But for example, I don't spend most of my time creating content about the super complex things that I work on. You know, some of the stuff that really I've become just known for in terms of teaching is like how to write a blog post, how to write an introduction, how to write a conclusion. You know, there, there's power in being the expert who can, in a way that isn't condescending, really teach people and make things that are seemingly complex. Suddenly it's that burst of relief where it's like, oh man, it's only someone else that explained it to me just the way you did. Like that's when you transition from someone who's just like, oh, I've got solutions. Oh, I'm so great to someone who actually solves genuine problems for real people. You know, what it makes me think of Liz and Kevin is, you know, this seems to be like a, the, the, syntax version of what we're doing visually on a page like and i use this quote in in a, in a piece i wrote recently it's from that book that you recommended to me the features writing book by william blundell from the wall street journal and he has this line where he says nothing is easier to do than stopping reading like like it's so easy to stop reading um and how do you get people to keep reading and it's something that i when i started working at impact i had to adjust to um like making short paragraphs, making headers and subheaders to, to break things up, to organize them, to put things in bulleted lists. And that seems to be like the visual version of what we're talking about here. Like they're, they're both, they're two sides of the same coin in that we're trying to make it easy for people to read. Not, you know, not, not insultingly easy, but we want to, we are communicators, we are explainers. And if we can take what we're explaining, which even might be complex, might be elevated, and present it in a way that's digestible, that's organized, that's easy to get through. They can always find more, you know, more esoteric uh, approaches to the same topic. But the fact that we can make it accessible is is actually a stroke of intelligence, not a not a dumbing down. Oh yeah, that reminds me of this thing I actually came across today, and it's like one of those memes where it's like funny text message exchanges that you see and some person had sent like this massive word wall text and the person replied, I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you though, or I'm sorry that happened. Cause it's like, <laughs> that's what happens. Like at some point people were just gonna be like, this is not, 
no, I have checked out. Like, again, it comes down to, I really want to explore this more deeply, Kevin, because I know we talked, we started this conversation from dumbing it, like you have to be able to dumb it down, but is it really dumbing it down or is it a different form of communication? It's just for your audience, like example, when I first got started, I was at a sleep clinic, right? So uh, we mostly diagnosed sleep apnea. And when I was researching, cause I didn't know anything about that stuff. When I started, I was tired as a content manager that could make snowboard videos. And I could also write about being a dad of the Moz class. Um, I knew nothing about sleep apnea. And then when I was like looking stuff up uh, to teach myself, it was so much, so much content was like, it was doctors writing for doctors. They weren't writing for the patient. They're talking words like cessation of breathing, apnea, hypopnea index, like damn near need to have a thesaurus and a dictionary handy to understand what's going on. So then when I started writing the actual patient, uh, a sleep apnea patient is just a guy who's middle-aged, overweight, having trouble breathing at night, just like a regular dude, right? Uh, we don't really know his, his education level. But we just assume it's going to be average. So instead of saying cessation of breathing, be like, you frequently stop breathing in your sleep. And it happens a bunch. Like all night long, it's happening. And when that's happening, your brain wakes up to make itself breathe. So then it's not doing the stuff that it needs to do in, in like REM sleep, which is repair your body, repair your mind. So I just took complicated stuff and was like, how do I relay this stuff, which I could barely understand, into language that anybody can understand? So let's say I'm that kind of novice content creator, but absolute expert in my field right? And I'm sitting here and I'm starting to feel these feelings of like, this is so annoying. Like, how do I even begin to start making my content more accessible to my readers? Like, let's say I'm that technical expert in a B2B field where it's like, I'm trying to work with small business owners who don't really understand what I do, but need me. Like, for example, managed IT services is a perfect example of that, right? It's super system administration, network specialists, a bunch of stuff. I, and I know my audience is that business owner who needs my help, but like, I don't know how to explain all this to make them get it. So where, where do I even start with that? Well, maybe look at some of the, even just the word choices you're using. Like, mm -hmm. hell, John, I, I just Googled esoteric. <laughs> right? There we go. We're talking about dumbing it down. I'm like, esoteric, what does that mean again? Intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people. That's a great that. irony, by the way, that that. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, so, so what are your, some of your word choices? What's some of the jargon within your industry? Um, is everyone in your audience understand that jargon? Um, and then, you know, are you speaking clearly, which is why some of these tools out there like Grammarly and Hemingway are so helpful in showing you where you might be being too complicated at. And you can like, just, just the color coded is like, oh, I can easily go in here and fix this or uh, using too much passive voice. So I'm not really being, uh, not really giving agency to my sentences, right? Like um, these reports are gonna need to be done. Okay, by who, right? Who is supposed to do these reports? Why don't you just come out and say, Kevin, you need to do these reports. That's your job. Yeah, I love that, Kevin, because we're talking about, it's both what you're talking about, your subject matter, but also how you're talking about it. and those can get easily conflated in your mind, but it is kind of a, a 
two front war. Yeah. And I love the Hemingway app, the little that I've used it, but I, I have played around with it. Like you said, you just put text in there, it gets color coded and, and it's, it's almost like a, it holds a mirror up. It's, it's an awareness thing where you're suddenly realizing, okay, I'm, I'm, I am building a lot of longer sentences or I'm, I'm continually starting sentences with these same kinds of phrases or same kinds of structures. Um, and that's like one side, but if you can split that from the subject matter, then it allows you to kind of attack both at, in, in different ways at different times. So it doesn't feel overwhelming. And the other side is I think exactly Kevin, what you're saying, how do you explain, you know, cessation of breathing or, or sleep apnea to, um, to someone who might not be familiar with the term. And that's, you know, that's the goal of any communicator. How can you be understood by a wide audience and appreciated by a wide, wide audience? One of my favorite tips that I like to give to people, and I usually give it in a copywriting context, but it can be applied to content as well. It's that if you ever have to write a statement and you would immediately follow that up with, and what I mean by that is, then you need to go back and rewrite that first statement so it's understood the first time without some sort of like Rosetta Stone that follows oh, to, like, to, to decrypt whatever it is that you said. I think the other thing I always try to remind people of too is instead of thinking that like you're sitting down writing some big piece of content or like an article or something, like I get it, it's an article, it's going to have your byline on it, whatever. Instead, I always encourage people to sit down and pretend like they're just having a conversation with someone across the table. Because I've noticed these same experts who get very anxious about creating content that is quote unquote accessible, right? They will... Um, they will then have no issue in a sales situation or just talking with someone one-on-one, -on -one, breaking those concepts down in a very human way. And so what I always try to encourage people to think of is like, don't think of this as like an essay or something that's being published in Harvard Business Review. Your goal here is to create a connection with your ideal pot buyer and make them feel seen and understood and then help them see and understand you as well, just like you would in a back and forth conversation. And just really flipping that switch helps people understand, like, make it conversational, make it something that doesn't require a glossary or like footnotes, you know, I, I don't have time to read that to you. I don't. So Kevin, what are some of the don'ts for it? Like, what if I'm a well-meaning content creator and I'm going through all that? Like, I'm like to quote, what about Bob? I'm baby Stefan. I'm doing the work, right? <laughs> I'm there. I'm trying to make magic happen. What are some signs to me, other than using things like Hemingway and like all of the, the, these other tools, what are the don'ts or the rookie mistakes that you sometimes see people lapse into? For example, do they dumb it down too much or anything like that? I don't know. I've seen some content come from some technical businesses that ended up being at like a grade level five too, that I was like, I understood everything. And then I didn't feel like it was for children. Um, I think one of the biggest don'ts is just don't assume that your audience is on your same level and they have the same knowledge base that you do. Assume that you're writing for the most ignorant in there. Cause if you're writing for the most ignorant of your audience, then you're kind of casting a wide net and you're writing for them, everybody. Um, I can see how some areas maybe get, maybe you're pandering a little too bit, like in really technical fields, like if you are a lawyer writing for other lawyers, or if you're a doctor writing for other doctors, you're an engineer writing for other engineers, then you can assume that they do have a little bit higher uh, education level and, and maybe reading comprehension and, and 
they don't need you to say, oh, you frequently stop breathing in your sleep. You, the, you can say cessation of breathing. That's the language that they use. Uh-huh. If you always just think like, who is my ideal audience? Where are they at? How can I just feel like I'm talking directly to them without talking down to them or having to talk up to them too, I guess. One of the other things I always throw in there too, is that like acronyms are a big tripwire too, that you need to be careful of. I mean, just without naming names, I'll, I'll throw a couple people under the bus from stuff I've, I've edited for impact. It's like, I'll read things like, you know, for our Taya clients and that Taya is an acronym acronym for they ask you answer, which is a book written by Marcus Sheridan about a very direct report approach to digital marketing and content marketing and all of those different types of things. But if you're throwing out that kind of language in an article titled, what is inbound marketing? That is an immediate moment where someone's going to stop and go, what are you talking about? SEO, CRM, CTR. Yeah. Those things without at least having in parentheses what the hell that thing means. Yeah. Or having an aside, that's just like, oh, wh- uh, what the heck does that even mean? Like I've done that. It, like I will, I will literally create parenthetical. Like if I can't find a spot where to like, organically put in a spot where it's like, and this means blank, I will then kick out a line and put in quotation marks. Wait, what the heck does blank mean, Liz? I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) And I'll just throw that in. I'll pretend the audience is there. Yeah. And that's that's what makes you writing some of the coolest. And anytime people are wondering about voice and stuff, I won't even give them a specific. I'll just go to our website, uh, look up team members, grab Liz, click on one or read the latest. And they're usually like, oh, that was also entertaining is kind of what it comes back. And it was like, it was funny. It was helpful, educational, and enjoyable. Three E's. There's this um, YouTube series put out by Wired, uh, the magazine. And they have these experts explain these very complicated topics at different levels. So like they have an astrophysicist explain gravity first to a five-year-old, then to a teen, then to a college student, then to a grad student, and then to an expert. And they're, they're about, there's like one about quantum computing, there's one about dimensions, uh, all different experts and then different people sitting in the other chair. And it, they're, they're fascinating, they're super cool to watch. But part of what's so, so amazing is the explanations to five-year-olds there's a lot in common with what they're explaining to graduate students. You know, the language might be a little bit different. The examples might be different, but like you don't have to shy away from complex concepts just because you're speaking at a, at a ninth or writing at a ninth grade level. That's kind of the challenge to you as a communicator, you as an expert, how do you make the person across from you understand? And, um, I think that's that's a point worth reiterating the idea that that simplifying and and aiming our content at a specific reading level does not mean we can't discuss sophisticated concepts or or complex concepts. Um, and you can look at those. We can link them in the show notes. They're uh, they're yeah. super fun. I want to watch. I want to check that out now too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's really a cool. level of what astrophysics is. Well, the other thing to think about it from a memorability standpoint, I mean, at, at, at this point, you know, it's profitable to be memorable, not in the like hack need in on like inauthentic way that isn't true to you, 
But we talked about this in the last episode, John, we were talking about, you know, personality, how it's so important in content and how it's quite frankly, profitable, profitable, because Kevin, what I, what I mentioned in that episode was, is that you have all these, you have all these companies going around, like we're experts. Well, what makes you so special? It's our people. And then you go and read all their content and like from person to person, every single piece of content sounds the same. And then between them and their competitors, they all sound the same. It's like, Great. So can you tell me where this, all this great, like unique personality is going to come through where you're really showcasing who your people are. And it's like the more you fall back into that kind of lazy language where you don't personalize and conversationalize all the stuff that you talk about in a human way, that means you're just going to once more fade into the background, become one with the wallpaper, so to speak. You know, your, your content will just become wallflowers at a prom that nobody wants to dance with. But somehow they're always in the way of the punch bowl. That's my one, that's my one gem for today. Sounds a good one. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Do you have another one too? For fans of TIA, which is an acronym for They Ask You Answer. Uh, for, as a team, we're re, we are rereading this. This is like my fifth time going through it. Um, in chapter 24, Marcus, it's uh, how, they, how They Ask You Answer, Save River Pools and Spas. And one of the things he was talking about is once he became known as the pool guy, a lot of people would reach out and be like, Marcus, you know so much about pools. Would you come down and oversee my installation or would you do my installation? You have to tell them, look, man, I know, I know I seem to be the expert on this, but like, I can't install a pool. I'm probably the worst guy they would ever want. They're actually installing it. What I do is I talk to the pool installation guys. They tell me everything they, how to do it. Then I turn around and I teach the audience in a simplified way. And he's got a quote in here that is not as cool as Jay-Z's, but right up there, which is, it's dumb not to dumb it down. Although again, getting back to dumb it down kind of carries negative connotation of being uh, integrity. Let's do it. Um, and he says, you know, I've seen again and again how when it comes to great marketing communication, the moment a business or brand tries to sound smart is generally the moment they start to look stupid. But when you don't try to sound smart and instead try to have open communication with your listener, that's when the magic happens. For me, this is my singular goal and obsession as a professional speaker, marketer, and communicator. My point to you is this, think like a teacher. I, I absolutely love that so much because it, I think the key thing that that quote in that quote for me is that when you're trying to sound smart, when you're trying to do anything other than just being a functioning human being with a personality and independent thought in your brain is the moment you take a step back from your audience. That is the moment you start creating distance. Um, they can smell the inauthenticity or their brain turns off because all they see is jargon and stuff they don't understand. Uh, people just smell that stuff out. And also as a content creator, like it's exhausting, isn't it? To like, say like, this is what I want to say. Now I need to put it through this super smart person filter. Just like by the end of it, I'm like, oh, I need a nap, but I don't want to finish this. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. That was why I used to hate writing. Like the, I was talking with somebody recently um, and I said, you know, if I, if I ever write a book, I'm going to have the introduction be, I'm sorry, Mrs. Hagen to my English teacher in eighth grade. Because I had someone recently tell me, like, Liz, I just, I'm not a born writer like you, Paul. I'm like, uh, I was a C student at best in all of my English and writing classes. All of them. I hated it. It was miserable. I didn't like it. Um, one time I tried to pass in an essay where I used a thesaurus 
because I had to hit a minimum word requirement. And I'm like, this character was not to be trusted. He was untrustworthy. He was nefarious. He was like, and then I got it back and it was like, see me after class with the whole thing. <laughs> so I'm like, so I, I feel people's pain with that stuff. And it just like, I appreciated the kind words you said, Kevin, but like half of that stuff is just me entertaining myself. You know, it's me entertaining myself and just like trying to be like, well, I'm a lunatic. So I might as well just be a lunatic right up front. So people don't meet me and go, oh, you're a lunatic. I didn't know. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Right? <laughs> you know, and like they're getting the real you too. Right. So after reading some of your content, if they do run into you, they're not going to be like, she's nothing like I thought she was going to be at all. <laughs> Except for the fact that people are usually shocked that I'm taller. I had one person at inbound a couple years ago. They're like, huh, you are very tall. I'm like six feet. And he's like, I thought you'd be shorter. And in my head, I'm like, what did I, do I write short? Like, <laughs> okie dokie. <laughs> a personality. Yeah, not sure how to take that. On, I do also have people, I did also have someone that same day come up to me and go, how's Pumpkin? Like they didn't introduce themselves. I had never met them. Pumpkin is my cat who I've mentioned multiple times today, whatever. Uh, but I write about her a lot in the latest because uh, it's a quarantine pandemic and I'm a shut in with a cat. And they came up and they're like, hey, how's Pumpkin doing? She's settling in okay? I'm like, she's great. Nice to meet you, friends. <laughs> Hello. But yeah, anyway, so getting back to the topic here, if we were to circle this conversation back around and think about, I, since we've talked about the ask you answer, I feel like we need to embrace our like inner Marcus here. And I'd love for each of us to say like, what is one thing we want somebody listening to walk away from this conversation today thinking about? One thing. I'll go. Who is it that you're writing for? It's the simplest way to like figure out the direction and the voice, the tone is just who, who is that audience? Where are they at in their buyer's journey? Where are they at in their education level and their, and the knowledge of what you're talking about and write for them. Don't write for yourself, write for the, the people reading it. But it's good to entertaining yourself while doing it though, Liz, like I said, like if you were cracking yourself up, you're probably making other people crack up too. There's this famous story about Hemingway. We've mentioned him a few times, so it's worth saying uh-huh. that he had this sort of, sort of like tiffy feud with William Faulkner, this other <gasps> like um, like early modernist writer, genius, brilliant, uh, like towering figure. Um, and Faulkner said something about like, well, Hemingway never used a word that sent anyone running for a dictionary. And um, Hemingway supposedly re- re- retorted, um, you know, poor William, he thinks big emotions only come from big words. And and Hemingway writes uh, really power, obviously Faulkner does too, but Hemingway writes really powerful um, stories and and novels, as as Liz said, with with lean prose, uh, and that doesn't make them any less powerful. Um, And like, like there's this this one moment, and sorry, this is a little bit dorky, but it's at the end of A Farewell to Arms, where um, he's, uh, his, his mistress has just was like giving birth to their love child, but then she dies in childbirth. And he like, he like tries to like talk to her after she's died, like to her body essentially. And he says like, I tried to say goodbye, but it wasn't any good. So I walked out, like closed the door and walked out into the rain. And like, like he doesn't try to write what is impossible to, to say. It's, it's like he, he leaves it kind of there and keeps it simple. I love it. And the, the, my, my message, my big takeaway is that 
simple writing doesn't mean simple concepts. Like writing simply and communicating in a clear way is is actually like a, a pretty high art, a pretty elevated um, and and demanding practice. Uh, and it doesn't mean you can't you you know you can only talk about the weather or you know colors and blocks and shapes. Uh, it's kind of funny that you brought up Hemingway. Uh, number one, I love him. But number two, whenever I'm telling, whenever I'm coaching people on how to become great content creators, I always have them read two books. I have them read Long Story Short, The Only Guide to Storytelling You'll Ever Need. I made you read that, John. And I also have them read The Sun Also Rises from Hemingway, because I feel like if you marry those two things together and you become a master storyteller that is really authentic and personal and you understand the purpose of true storytelling to build connections or however using it in the business context, plus that really lean approach to like thoughtful word choice and precision. Like that's, that's where like real magic happens there. Um, in terms of my one thing, I would say, remember that expertise and being the smartest person in the virtual room, so to speak, can be can easily become a turnoff. It can be the thing that sends people running away from you because we all know that guy, right? We've all been to that party where there's that guy who is just not listening to people. You know, think about what, what it takes for a person to be likable. They're listeners. They care about the person on the other end. They have empathy. They are honest. They are open. And they don't spend the entire time talking about themselves on their terms with their own priorities. And the minute you decide that you are going to flip that switch and just be the expert and say like, well, I'm not dumbing this down because this is what I do and this is what I'm doing for a living. Congratulations. You have just created a chasm between you and the people you're trying to reach. And it will always be an uphill battle to get people to listen. That's my one thing. John, enough of me rambling and talking about my feelings. Teach us something. Make us wiser. Did we already steal our do we already steal our learning corner by having us look up esoteric? Uh, no. Well maybe this is learning corner uh, 2.0 or something. <laughs> uh, so this actually I, I I didn't come up with this, but I think it's brilliant. Uh, it came from Andy Crestadina, who is uh, from Orbit Media in Chicago. He's he's great. He teaches courses and gives talks and he's really smart. So something you talked about is how um, when we write an article, we're, we're taught to link to other articles, like link to other things that we've written. And that has SEO benefits. And it also has just, it helps the reader. So if you want, if they want more information about this, they can click to it. Um, but what he also recommends, and this is, seems like a no brainer, but it took me a while to figure it out too, is when you write that new article, you should also go back and update those old, old articles so that they link to it. So like, don't just link to stuff that's in the past, but take stuff in the past and link it to stuff that you're working on now or that just come out so that they're, you know, more, more, the web is stronger. I love that. And Andy Christina, mm. every stuff, everything that he does is amazing. He's so smart. Yeah, he's great. Um, but that's, that's, that's for learning. How about what, Liz, what are you reading? Oh, I sent this to you late last night. 
And I think I sent it with an all caps message in our comma drama Slack channel. And just for Kevin and our audience's edification, that is the Slack channel name for the editorial nerds here at Impact. It's comma drama. <laughs> we, we have we have fights about capitalization. No, you can't capitalize that. Why? It's not a proper noun. Like, <laughs> hey, check out this funny thing from AP Style. There's a lot that happens there. And then I sent this article. So there's this website that we've referenced before called McSweeney's. They do a ton of satire. Um, just they've done <laughs> one of my favorite essays that they ever did was when they made Comic Sans, like the font come to life. <laughs> And like defend itself in its honor. Like it was great. But then I found this one last night that says this satire article was not optimized for search engine optimization. I'm like, oh, one for a marketer for me. And here's how it starts. Introduction. When you look up an online recipe only to sift through a mountain of pointless information, just to get to the only section you actually care about to read the recipe. Th oh, hello. <laughs> I love it. You know, we're going to leave that in. Hi, welcome to our lives. So this is the result of an online marketing trick known as search engine optimization. Articles that use SEO are written for the sole purpose of being detected by Google search engine. They are needlessly long, painfully drawn out, and a real chore to read. But we'll have none of that nonsense here. This hilarious satire article doesn't care where it lands on Google. No, no, we just care about you the reader. And we want to make you laugh, so let's get to it. But first, what is SEO exactly? And how do we avoid it? And then it goes into this whole long thing where it's like, what is SEO? Top five reasons we never use SEO. The satire. Okay, what is satire? The main attract, like it's this needlessly long article that pokes fun at SEO and all the things that marketers do to get us our stuff found online. No, I love that, like the actual satire, like the, the joke is buried so deep. And I think it's only one sentence or something, you know, it's, it's, it's hilarious because you spend oh yeah five, five minutes and, and a thousand words to try to get to this one little answer of what you were looking for. And then well, my favorite, it, hit, it hit a little close to home. My favorite is how they tee it up. The satire. Let's go to it. The real reason you're here. The satire. We pride ourselves on dishing out the most gripping, relatable, and flat-out humorous satire on the World Wide Web. And we're pleased to announce that today's satire is no different. But first, what is satire exactly? And this was after the whole thing about SEO. And then it says, what is satire? Webster's Dictionary defines satire as blah, 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 blah. So... Yeah, that's what I'm reading. This is the kind of stuff you're reading? <laughs> yeah, we're nerds. Hi. <laughs> Mine's not as cool as that. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I'm, I'm re so I'm reading two things. I usually have two books at least going at a time. One professional book to like get better at, at my job and within the company. Uh, Rereading They Ask Your Answer for the fifth time. We're doing it as a group, having a book club with all the coaches and trainers so that we can align on the messaging within the book and how we relate that to clients. Uh, for fun though, I'm reading uh, The Man in the High Castle right now by, <clears throat> by Philip Dick. Yeah, that's a great book. Because I want to watch the show, but I am one of those snobby assholes. It's like, I want to watch the show, but at the same time, be able to be like, oh, I'm in the book. I did that all through Game of Thrones. I did it through, like I, I watched, I think, the first season of Game of Thrones. And before I watched the second one, I read all the available books, then jumped into it so I could drive my wife insane with my knowledge of Game of Thrones the whole time. Kevin, I'm actually doing the exact same thing right now with a book called The Terror. Do you know it? Is that an H.P. Lovecraft? 
No, it's by this guy named um, Dan Simmons. And um, it's like a fictionalized account of this uh, doomed expedition to find the Northwest Passage in the 1840s. Ooh. And like one of the boats they were on was called the HMS Terror, which, you know, it's not going to go well, I feel like, boat. if you're sailing <laughs> off into like the Arctic on a boat called Terror. Um, but it's a it's a AMC series from like maybe 2018 or 2019. And I, I like watched the first episode, really want to watch the rest, but I stopped to start reading the book. So I am 100% with you on that. Do it all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, there's a book. This is based on a book. Let me go spend... Uh, a couple of days to a few weeks reading it first and then come back to it. So I'm just surrounded by a bunch of that guys right now is what I'm hearing. Proudly too. I Can like I how smug you your face is. You don't watch movies with me? Oh, really? I wish everybody could have seen your face like light up with smugness when you, when you were listening to cabinet at one point, you just like pointed at the screen. Like you were like, my man. <laughs> Like, oh my God, you guys are just awful, says Liz, who's currently rereading The Godfather. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love that. All right. Well, I guess this bunch of jerks, do we have anything else we want to share today? Are we done? Feelings? Grievances? I feel of- like I just need to go play really hard with my kids because I can, I can start to, they're downstairs being loud. So, uh. I need to go toss them around a little bit. It's one of the benefits of being a dad is like you can you can win any fight. <laughs> is it because you're so tall and they can't reach you? Yeah, they just treat me like a jungle gym. And it's fun for all of us. It wears them out so they actually go to bed at night. I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, <laughs> and I have a rock. <laughs> John, what are you going to do? Uh, make dinner and then... Yeah, start getting ready for bedtime with the kiddos. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining our little Motley crew today. We'll have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, John, I'm sure I'll slack you late at night again with something else. (laughs) And to everybody else next week, we will talk to you then. Goodbye. Next week, we have a guest too. (gasps) We do? We do. Oh, we have a a special super secret guest for next week, don't we? We do. Mm. So we say nothing now. Goodbye, all. Bye-bye. See you guys.